2: time for the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. I'm Dennis Farrell, and he's my Canadian best friend, Petey Williams.
0: How's she going, eh?
2: Pete, we've got a jam-packed show. Not just a jam-packed show. We have a jam-packed couple months.
0: Oh, you're not joking. I mean, we just had a jam-packed couple of uh, uh, days together, actually. I mean, it was less than 48 hours, but it felt like a lot longer
2: we are just because there t- was so much stuff. We're going to tell some backstage stories and pers- what, from our perspective of the last tapings for Impact beforehand, Pete, let's do some housekeeping here. Uh, as some of you guys may know, and we have a weird fan base, Petey, where a lot of people will listen to one show, either the Wrestling Perspective with you and me— or the Doug Cast with James Ellsworth and myself—they're two different shows. They're not the same show. We cover different topics, but over on the Doug Cast with myself and Pete and James Ellsworth, essentially on the same feed, so you don't have to go anywhere if you're just listening to this for the first time. Next week
0: we have
2: Chris Jericho coming on the podcast.
0: That's going to be a, a big podcast. I don't think Jericho does. Uh, a lot of interviews or or podcasts or anything like that. So, um, and it's close to his cruise time, isn't it?
2: It is. We will be doing some cruise plug-in. Uh, I know for sure we're going to talk to him about the impact uh, rumors, and uh, you know I'm going to try to dig the best of I can. I know he's very guarded, and he is uh, uh, he's a wordsmith. So I'm not expecting him to give up too much, but I'm going to do what I can to dig to get some sort of answers out of him.
0: Hey, you're uh, like a uh, number one broadcast journalist here. I mean, I'm sure you'll find something, right?
2: Well, you, you know, it's funny because you and I will go into a taping sometimes, and this is inside baseball still, and I'll go, we've got to drum up some 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 media coverage. What are we going to do? And then I'll lead you down a line of questioning that I know deep down in my heart might get some sort of, oh, do you hear what Petey Williams just said? And you are, <laughs> I don't know if it's humble, or maybe naive to your social media reach, that you you don't say anything controversial, but you don't think what you say
0: should get any media coverage. No, that's true. I mean, and, and the thing is, when you ask me those questions, you ask, like, what do you think, Petey? And it's like, and it's what I think, not what, like, Impact thinks or anybody else or anything like that, or I know the inside. It's just, this is what I think, this is how I think the business should go, and then when I say I give my opinion, they're like, "Oh, Petey said this; that must mean it's, uh, you know, it's 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 true." And I'm, well, I mean, that's just what I'm thinking. I mean, if it comes out to be true, great. If not, okay. It's just my opinion.
2: Well, tonight we have Killer Cross coming on the podcast. I think some. I don't know if we're going to release it separately. But uh maybe after we're done with this we'll record a little intro. We have a Sammy Callahan interview we may release next week. It'd be interesting to do Jericho and Sammy Callahan in the same week. We're sitting on that. We're sitting on a Rich Swan interview that we can release. I think so the Rich Swan and the what was it? Alicia Atoot? A toot, yep. Uh, I, You know, I think it'll be easier to reach out to her and have her re-record that interview. And look, we're doing Inside Baseball. This is stuff that people will probably talk about off their podcast, but we want you guys to feel part of the show. So I might reach out and have her re-record because it just seemed – when we were in a dirty
0: closet, essentially,
2: to re-record the podcast <laughs> –
0: well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now you're saying that we invited a female into a dirty closet. That just makes us sound bad. We, we were did. in a closet well, it we, didn't have we a did. window. it had like a a tarp to, to block the sound i mean i don't it was it was a good place though I mean, it had a table. it was a great little setup. It was a really intimate vibe um <laughs> maybe a little bit too intimate <laughs> like i we were close it, um wait, wait, but yeah, it's it, 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 almost it was like bad. if
2: it's almost like if m t v Unplugged decided to record a sessions. In like East Detroit,
0: <laughs> I guess it's equivalent to it. I mean, yeah, I mean that's pretty accurate.
2: So that's just kind of where we were. It was, it's a storage closet essentially where we just, we found a table, and that's kind of where our home was. And then in the second set of tapings, when we came back after Slam Reversery, this recent one. It was taken over for Junk Food Jeff's uh, changing room, so that was pretty odd. Trying to get ready to do a Sammy Callahan interview, and I have Junk Food Jeff in his boxers in front of me, just chatting away.
0: Yeah, and we're like, "Okay, Jeff, let's go." Jeff, Junk Food Jeff. He plays Junk Food Jeff on uh, 89X uh, Morning Show um, on like Mondays, I believe. Uh, but for us, for Impact, he's our you know uh, ring announcer, pretty much. So that's, that's Jeff right there. Um, but yeah, we're like, okay, you know, he has his stuff on the table right next to your podcast. I mean, there's really not a lot of space, uh, <laughs> backstage. It's just because we have so much to do backstage. We have, we have filming, we got photo shoots in that photo shoot area. It takes like what that, that, you saw, like that takes a huge portion yes. of the backstage area. And then we have, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, anthems like office, you know, where they can do their stuff. Uh, we have the makeup room. We have, uh, you know, guys where they change and stuff like that. Um, so I mean, there's really, and and so we had commandeered like pretty much the 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 broom closet. So they were like, hey, you know, I I mean, you guys can't have it the whole time. So I mean, I'm gonna change in here. It's just there, there's a lot going on backstage, and uh, just because it's not like a, a regular locker room, you know. I, so I do want to say thank you to the two fans
2: that brought signs. I'm going to put one out on Front Street, Petey. Uh, God bless him. I love him. One guy and his wife went above and beyond making this amazing sign, right? And then it looked, uh, look, I love him. I love our fans. But when you saw the masterpiece, and this guy was like in every shot for the next month. Uh, we'll tell the story about how PD uh, politely said, change your sign up for us. But... uh yeah, but it was a masterpiece, a great sign. And then there was a guy at ringside that looked like my nine-year-old daughter made a sign, and it was like eight other signs. Uh, we didn't get to meet him; he didn't come over. And uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest; I think I would have, uh, I think I would have get hard timed him based on the effort he put in on the sign if he did come over. Like, hey, I want my PD few minutes. I'd be like, ah, you may deserve thirty seconds, but we still appreciate it. I'm hard timing him.
0: Yeah, and I, we do appreciate, it. and it's you got to remember, like for in his defense, we no said bring a sign. No. We didn't say like the sign has to be immaculate or a masterpiece or a Van Gogh or a you know a Da Vinci or anything like that. We just said make a sign. So he made a sign, and if you looked at his book, it was kind of those books where it's like. Oh, Petey's coming out now. I'll just draw a sign really quick. Okay, now who's coming out next? Oh, Rick Swan. Okay, I'll flip the page and then draw a new sign for Rick Swan. Maybe I'll get on TV. That's what it seemed like he was doing.
2: And I, I don't blame him. I'm hard timing him, but I don't blame him. But uh, no. we some great signs. Look for on the what was it? Would it be not this, not tonight, which we're recording, not tonight, but the next Thursday? Impact you'll start seeing that sign pop up.
0: Yeah. So next Thursday and. Uh, so after tonight, the next four weeks after that, you'll see the sign popping up. I don't believe my, I don't believe I'm on this week or next week. Um, what Next week would be so. I think I'm on starting in September. I think that falls in September now, or maybe the 29th. I believe. Oh no, I don't know. So I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to do the math now. We film so out of order, but you know, I have a couple matches with Rich Swan. And uh, they, they go well. I won't give any spoilers out or anything like that. But I definitely point to the sign. The sign was like
2: right there. right As
0: there. soon as the wrestlers come out of the entranceway. Um, yeah, and you can take it over from here, Dennis.
2: It, very good. Uh, great story, by the way. You and I were sitting backstage. We're watching the show. Junk Food Jeff comes out and says, hey, you guys got a fan out there. And we go, yeah, that's kind of cool. He goes, hey, yeah, he's hard timing Scott D'Amore out there. There was apparently a segment with some couches and uh Damore runs out there and I don't know if he was helping or directing or guiding, but they were clearing the set and this guy's like, "Get pity and Dennis a chance, hey, eh? Come on, Scott, they deserve it.
0: Oh, you're good doing your Canadian accent now. I was trying uh, very funny. I was I was trying, it sounded more New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, but I mean uh I mean, that's not how you win over Scott Demore. Uh If anything, that's how you annoy him. Um, but yeah, I mean, we met the couple, right? We did. Um, they were very nice. Very nice. Uh, uh, very thankful for you know everything they've done for us and everything. I'm looking at this sign. The sign is, is, is gorgeous. I'll just throw that out there. Gorgeous sign. Um, but then I was looking at it, and not only was I looking at the sign, but uh, backstage when I was watching the monitor, you were pointing it out to me like, yeah, that's the guy with the sign right there. You see it, and I'm looking at it. And the way they have it laminated and it was like the coloring and stuff, I said, wow, that's that's really actually hard to see. Um, so, yeah, when we met him, I politely, I guess, the politest way I could say was, hey, if you really want your sign to pop on TV for everybody to see, those black letters have to be white, man. And he, he was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure, absolutely, they, they need to be white. And then – what did you say that his wife did
2: that they, night they they drove around Toronto and I'm not sure if they were from Toronto or staying, but they drove around the city looking for materials like they legit i I think they ubered from like three or four different places trying to make the sign the way you suggested which they did and for their hard work it did not go unnoticed and you and I and I will say this on the podcast just so people understand. Uh, what we do for our fans, we broke a cardinal backstage rule for these people, and we're not going to do it every time. But, but here, here's the thing: we got a slam anniversary uh, book. We went out to people that we knew, that we were friendly with, that we knew this wouldn't bug. We didn't go up to people we didn't know. I think it was Rich Swan, who we've been very cool with. Uh, I think one of Ove uh you and there was somebody else who autographed it for him oh killer cross did for him and we we reached out to those guys who we have a relationship with they signed it and
0: josh matthews was cool about it because he said just go over to so and so at the table tell him i'm asking for a program and sure enough i mean that's what happened so but that's, I mean, uh,
2: that is a backstage. No, no, people don't even in regular sports and in wrestling. You, when you are backstage or you are covering an event, you don't ask for autographs. So that's kind of we stuck our neck out there to say thank you to our fans
0: like that. Yeah, and I mean, and that just goes to show we'll stick our neck out for our fans. Uh, we don't have any problem with it because you know we we know it's a two way street. Uh, they were helping us out; we were helping them out. And you know, everybody goes home happy. So I, I hope, and I know, I mean, I hope, but I also know that they had the time of their life. They're going to remember this forever. Um, and you know, that's what, that's what this business is all about. Just making memories.
2: I had a legitimate scary moment backstage, Pete. I'm getting to the point now where when you run off and have to work, I'm not like a lost puppy. Cause it's, it points, you were the only person I knew. So and I'm very mindful of not bugging people because they're trying to work that I just kind of sit by myself. And maybe some people are like, hey, Pete, your buddy's not friendly. Why is he sitting in the corner? But I I understand where I am. But now mm-hmm. that I've been kind of coming along, people are talking to me. I made some great friends. We'll tell some stories here uh, before we get Killer Cross on the line. Uh, thank, thankfully, the mental hospital is allowing us time to call in and talk to them. But... Uh, so... You're off doing something, and I want to go talk to you. And there's a long hallway with a sharp right turn. And I, I walk down this long hall, hall, hallway, and it takes me about five steps to realize that, for whatever the reason, Moose is laying on the ground. And that's all I'll say, right? And I I it, it takes a few minutes to register, like, oh, my God, he's down on the ground. And right as it kind of hit me that Moose is laying on the ground two guys go running up to him right and and start looking at him and they both look at me and start yelling at me to call for help so now <laughs> so now i'm frozen solid like i'm like oh, holy shit what's going? do do i run up and check on him do who do i tell for help cuz i don't have <laughs> i don't know who to go tell You know, everybody else is on the other side of the building. There's a a nice lady that's taking photos. I can run and go say, oh, my gosh, let's take a picture of Moose on the ground. But essentially, I'm frozen in fear. And then I hear, cut. And they're like, oh, great take, everybody. And then from the blind corner comes a camera crew. He pops up, and I'm just like,
0: oh, my gosh. So, you're hoping like that wasn't a legit thing. I couldn't. Um, I didn't know. Just doing a pre tape. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They were doing a pre tape, but I didn't know.
0: And there's a lot of that kind of stuff
2: that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, if you walk through the wrong door, turn the wrong corner, you're either in a shot or, and you never really know what's going on.
0: Yeah. We have so much stuff to film backstage. And how many times, and you were back there a lot of the times, where somebody would just come in the door talking like, So loud as everybody's quiet because we're doing a pre-tape, and everybody turns to them kind of like you know giving them that evil eye like you know we're Mm -hmm. filming we don't have to do this again. But it happens all the time. I mean, I've walked into them before, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize we were filming. I I apologize, guys, all that kind of stuff. It's just it what it's what happens. We have so much to film that it's almost like they are asking for quiet on the set. Uh, all day long like it's 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 pretty ridiculous i, I i'd say
2: i got the thinking on the way home but that's the second time when i was with you that happened the first time might have been the very first show we went together and hung out backstage which was a ring of honor show if you remember
0: oh that's right and uh they were doing some sort of taping thing and then they were outside I, were, yeah, and myself and I think Monty walked by the, the proper way because we, we, we knew how they were filming. But you, you, your first time, you're like, I don't know which way to go without being seen on film. Like, I don't know how this works.
2: And I just and stopped.
0: You just stood there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that. But, yeah.
2: but the funny thing was you guys walked by like there was nothing going on. I saw I saw them to start taping, and I paused. I looked down at my phone. I looked up, and all of a sudden, two guys come running in and punching them. And it caught me by surprise at first because it it just always does. You 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 you're used to seeing it on TV being set up. You can see it a mile away, but you you know (laughs) when you're there and they're filming it, you go, "Oh my gosh, this is real life."
0: Yeah, and it's just it takes a lot. Like I've been around it a long time, where uh i just know where to walk to not be seen on film like as if nothing's happening um but you know if it's your first time you're like i'm just gonna stay here and hopefully they don't film me because i don't know which way i can walk for them to not shoot it so uh i mean it it happens but yeah you had another segment didn't you i did you you, you had a part i did i had a part
2: first of all i have to give a big 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 thanks to someone who's been on our podcast for making this happen. you I've made it no secret that I would just, I'd be happy with a bit thing anytime. You know, if I even pitched, well, you'll hear it in one of the interviews with Sammy, but I've pitched little bitty bit parts, like throw me over the ring, shave my head on live TV, or, you know, let me be the guy that gets running in to check if someone's okay, or you know, let me be a guy that gets thrown into a barricade they go with the people that they pay to be there and the kids that I get that part. But, uh, yes, stone Rockwell, our very friend of the podcast and a friend of mine, very cool guy comes up to me and says, Hey, we're filming a, and I won't say much, but it's going to go on. Like I think the website, the Twitch, the Facebook and all that. So keep an eye out for it. But, uh, it's him and the kid ref. You can, they, they did something and I played a role as the bartender. Now, I don't know how much of me actually got into it, but it was pretty cool. I didn't have any speaking roles. It was all kind of facial and mannerisms, and it was very loosey-goosey, but it was very exciting for me that uh, finally, after months and months of tagging along with you, I was actually finally used for something.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean that's how it starts, right? I mean, hey, you want to be in this with me? Yep. You want to be in that with me? Uh, whatever the case may be. Anything you get, take it. I mean, you never know. They're like, hey, I like the way. So, for example, I'll give you an example. That uh, guy that interviews uh, Scarlett Bordeaux all the time, Mm -hmm. uh, Bobo, they call him. Um, He, I I guess he did a a very similar thing to that. This is how they found him. They did a very similar thing to that, I I think, uh, Destiny in Toronto, where he was kind of playing that same creeper, like, I'm you know, uh, this this hot ladies uh, hitting on me right now and I'm sweating and all that kind of stuff, embarrassed. Um, and they saw that. They loved it. So then they're like, oh, okay, let's use him for this segment. And it's kind of like it's his segment now pretty much. Like he's just – he's fixed in as that character. And the same thing. Like you play a small part. They might be like, hey, man, he did a great job with that. Let's use him from now on. I mean that's how it starts pretty much. Yeah, it just – you know, you don't have anybody in mind. You're like, let's see if this sticks, and uh, or you're you know, right if there. it works, it works. Yeah. If it doesn't, it doesn't.
2: Or you're right there. And the funny thing was, he asked me to be the bartender. I come up, we see the crew there, and they're like, "All right, we got this guy, this guy, and over here, this guy over here is going to be the bartender." Now I'm standing there. I'm not going to say anything. I, I deep in my heart, I'm like, Eeyore. I'm like, Oh, what was me? Uh And then. You know, they're still talking, and I'm sitting there. And I got the smile, and I'm a little bit disappointed, even though it's a nothing role. And then Stone Rockwell goes, Well, I, I already brought this guy to be the bartender. Maybe we'll have two bartenders. Very, very PC answer right there. But the other guy ended up just kind of sleeking off and going to do something else. And I think he, you know, I think he's a student or has been around or he was in another thing where he caught somebody, you know. So it wasn't that big of a deal to him. But deep down inside, I'm like, yes.
0: You got to be the bartender. I got to be the hey, one. That could, that could be a start of a whole thing now. Yes. You just you never know. You never know. But, yeah, that was the
2: great set of tapings. The crowd was good. You know what? It was a smaller crowd from the first set, but a very live crowd.
0: Yeah, anniversary. we had, like, triple the amount of people we had there uh for the tapings but i mean that's pay-per-view i mean that's that's it'll always be like that those are bigger events um yeah but sunday great taping uh monday as well um i was happy with uh both my matches with rich swan um and then you know i had a lot of stuff to do backstage i mean i was well you saw i was running around doing this that and the other thing and then even while the show was going on you know sanjay or scott will be like hey I have all this other stuff to do. Can you take this for me? And yeah, I mean, that's just what we do backstage. And that's just, uh, you know, I have no problem helping out and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was it was a busy couple days. Uh, we went to Zet's restaurant, cash only. Cash uh, only. Which that raised <laughs> any restaurant that you go to that's cash only, you know that there's some sort of tax fraud going on. I'm just gonna put it out there right there. It, I mean, it was funny. It's, it's got to be.
2: It's funny because we would go in and usually. I always try to pay for your meals as a thank you. And sometimes you just say, Hey, Hey, I got this. And you kind of said, Hey, Hey, I got this, but it's cash only go over to that ATM machine. So I go take 40 bucks out and I'm waiting in line and I'm making fun of Canadian money as an American does. It's, it's, you know, part of our DNA. We have to do it. And then you're like, you don't deserve this money. And you snatch it out of my head. I know I'm going to get it back. And then two seconds later, you pay for both of our meals with my money and Don Callis goes, do you realize Petey just just uh, conned you into paying for his meal?
0: No, I'll pay it back. It's no big deal. Yeah, I, it's just that no, you I won't. had to keep our spot in line. No, I you mean, did we, Did you see how big that line
2: was? I did. but no, It was you, out the door. First of all, you won't pay me back because I won't let you. You know <laughs> It'll that. It'll all work out in the end. It'll all work out in the end. But no, it was it was a great set. It was And Dave Christ. I got to say, part of OVE has become one of my fast friends. I really enjoyed sitting there talking with them. Uh, you know, Killer Cross has been really cool to me. Uh, well, to the last set, to the last day of the tapings, it was really cool. He's open and talking, but he's a very busy guy, and I don't try to approach. Uh, let's see here. And uh, Stone Rockwell has been very cool to me. But Dave Crisp, we're sitting there, and the Slammiversary tapings, he had said something to you and used a baseball reference, right? And I don't remember what it was. He, you were talking about being the utility man or or doing something, and he was like, oh, like uh, this guy. And a baseball reference, I think you kind of caught it and moved on. And this set of tapings, he's standing there. I come up to him. I say, hey, I don't want to bug you, but I got to give you some props. Uh, a few months ago, when we were doing the slam-reversary tapings, you kind of had said this, and, and you threw out this reference, and I got to say... You know, they no-sold know, it and moved on. But deep down, I popped for it. I thought it was a great reference. It worked good. And then from there on, him and I became very good friends.
0: Yeah, no, the OBE guys, I mean, all of them, they're, they're, they're great dudes. I've always got along with uh, uh, Dave and Jake. Um, you know, e- even that night, we, we had, man, all those rooms in Toronto. Like, you couldn't find a hotel room to save the life. you. I I guess there was something in town. I don't know if there was some sort of convention or whatever. And, you know, I mean, we were all set, you know, and had rooms and stuff like that. Um, but they actually offered to me, they were like, Hey, you could stay in our room and, and, and like the OV room. And they had other guys from Ohio with Zachary Wentz and a couple of the other guys. And they were like, Hey, we got like six guys in a room though," And I'm like, ah, no, I'm, I'm all set. They're like, no, like I'll sleep on the floor. You can have my bed. I'm like that's how like they understand how the business works. They would gladly give up their their bed to me. Um, so and that but that's how they've always been. I've told stories about them on the podcast before, over at Ethan Page's house and stuff like that, giving up the couch and they're they're stand up guys and you know I, I I just love them. You know, It's very
2: nice guys and I we have Sammy Call, Callahan coming on later this week. I want Dave Chris on. This, that guy, it, I want, we talk so much sports. I wanted to make sure, I, I want to talk wrestling with him on a podcast. Cause I think he, they run a school, they're very intelligent and smart.
0: Yeah, no, they run a, like a, like a compound. I I believe they have the a wrestlers like, li- I, I'm serious. Like they have like a, uh, like a, like a house with like, uh, like a big one that with multiple rooms where the wrestlers actually stay and live. It's almost like a mini tough enough um yeah but they they have the real deal going on where you know you like eat sleep and breathe wrestling pretty much and then i just to show some of the guys that come out of there are, are phenomenal athletes and phenomenal workers Petey, uh
2: let's move on are you ready to talk about uh, what's coming up in the next few seconds that is i'm excited about
0: yeah killer cross you're talking
2: i uh, am yeah. all right pd uh here's somebody whether he knows it or not me and him our paths have we woven in and out of each other pd and let me tell the story before we welcome on our guest who we have a short time he has taken some meds uh, a little shock treatment so we have a a semi-normal killer cross joining us here for a few minutes but pd We were at the St. St. Clair tapings, I believe. And it was the first time I met Killer Cross. And you and him, you guys were doing your thing before the tapings. And they were trying to figure out parts of his character. And you kind of had said something to me like, "Uh, you know, he's got this move. What, what, What do you think we should name it? And I took it upon myself. I sat in the corner like a little nerd. And I I jotted down a whole bunch of names, and I brought them to you. You're like, okay, first of all, if you're going to do this, don't bring 20 names. Because by name 15, uh, because we were going to name his special hold there. uh, By name 15, it all bleeds together. People stop reading. So that was lesson one I learned. Uh, You read over. You're like, I like this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. So we deleted a whole bunch. Then Then you took it over to... Cross, he said, I like this one, I really like this one. Then that went over to Don Callis, who's like, Ah, those are okay, and he walks away. Uh, <laughs> now I was on pins and needles because it's it's me, I'm a fan, I'm a fan boy. And then to find out later, what is it, three weeks later, I believe that aired, that they went with one of my suggestions, I geeked out like, as a kid. I turned into like a 12 year old kid, like Macho Man shaking my hand. So uh, yeah, I, that that's that's how Mr. Cross, me and you are now intertwined together.
0: Yeah, and that, and Killer Cross, welcome to the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. Please, no hard feelings from our uh, you know past uh, you know treat with each other. I could say, but um, so what what is the would they end up deciding what your name is of uh, your chokehold, uh, your finishing move? What would they? Do you know what it is now? I know they started with a cross jacket, but. It's well, going the they... cross
1: jacket. That's, that's what we're rolling with.
0: Oh, man. Dennis, you got it. I know. One of your ideas got on our TV. Oh, you're, you're geeking out right
2: yeah, now. Yeah, I am. I'm not even going to lie <laughs> about that. So how, how has your time and impact been so far?
1: You know, I, I didn't have sort of a preconceived notion of what this experience was going to be like. I generally just go into anything and everything I'm doing in life, uh, whether I'm aware of the odds or not, being optimistic and also realistic, kind of grounded in in what I'm going to be getting involved with. I just kind of left my mind open to uh, learn, right? I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to do: um, go in and just don't have any expectations. And honestly, this is it, it's it's been absolutely awesome. It's been great. Um, all I've been hearing it is nothing but this place has changed this place has changed from the old guard to the people that just recently got there um there is a very deep level of positivity and a very strong work ethic from every single person that i've actually come in contact with with the company uh literally from the production people to the writers to the agents and to everybody working on the show and that's such a relief and you know i just working on the independence um you're you really like you just gotta you gotta protect yourself anything can happen whether it's promoters or insane fans or people you're working with uh you just you don't stumble upon working environments like that they're just not common so to be a part of impact and to have my first true showcase of what I'm able to do in my presentation on American television programming and Canadian, I guess they have a, they have a wide level of distribution, but for the first time for this continent to see me on television and to be working with a a collection of people like this, uh, it's a blessing.
2: You've been in many backstages. Uh, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, you were with Lucha underground too, for it still are, right?
1: Yes. I've been with Lucha underground since season two and, um, the launch of my character presentation, which parallels what people are seeing right now and what they've seen in the independence. it's kind of been um, – we've been waiting to launch it. And recently it was just launched during season four, which I'm very happy about. And it's just a very special kind of character. So, um, yeah, I can also be seen on that television show as well.
2: I only no. – kn- I only, but hang on, PD, now. I'm going into oh, – right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I only know one backstage. I've only seen Impact. I love it. I love the people there. I love the vibe. Uh, as, as Look, I'm a fanboy turned journalist turned podcaster, uh, all PD. I get the keys to the backstage. I get to watch and see. I've learned to keep my mouth shut. But for you who have been on two different similar kinds of shows, what, what is it like comparing maybe not the backstage vibe in the wrestlers per se, but the work ethic that goes into putting on a, a, a live show for, you know, basically two wrestling promotions that are TV shows?
1: Well, they're two totally different animals and, you know, they're, it, it's kind of hard to say, um, I enjoy working for both. It's two totally different experiences, which is excellent as a performer and a professional wrestler because you learn to work in different gears and you learn different ways to express yourself in different audience demographics. Um, Lucha Underground has cultivated an audience that will accept more fiction in their pro wrestling than any other professional wrestling organization. And the way they did that was with Lucha Underground – there is a very, very, very committed level of sincerity that each person uh, conducts themselves with in their presentation of character. And that's how you can get that sort of narrative over with the audience. People are committed to sincerity in what they're doing. Not to say that there's a lack of commitment of sincerity in other forms of professional wrestling that are you know, sort of like Americanized. But with that, it's just there's a whole other level. There's There's more theater involved with that i guess for lack of better words so both are just excellent experiences i've I learned something every day on there well at both companies actually
0: now so
1: i didn't well i i guess this is like maybe a
0: two or three part question when it comes to your character so we did our thing right um and and, and by the way i really enjoyed working with you thank you very much um but after that i was like okay i wonder what they're gonna do with the killer cross character and then it turns out, okay, now you're with Austin Aries, and that's where we're at right now. As uh, what people have seen, I won't give away any spoilers or anything like that. Um, so, okay, so when did you find out? Like, hey, you're going to be teamed up with Aries, and then what were your thoughts on that? And then looking in the future, obviously you and Aries uh, are making a good team. Um, one of you guys is going to have to turn on each other. I mean, this. I mean, I don't think uh, uh, you know this you and Aries would last forever. Like, where do you see that going? Like, what would you like to see in the beginning?
1: Uh, I don't remember where I was with Austin, but we were on the road somewhere together. We weren't, we were not at impact. I can't recall where, but he said, he goes, I have this, uh, I have an idea to put together a faction of people with impact, you know, to collect a bunch of heels, to get as much heat as possible. And then, you know, take that somewhere. And he's like, you're like my number one go-to guy. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, I'm interested in, you know, and this is seriously, like I'm, I'm interested in doing whatever anybody thinks is going to contribute best to the television program. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people get married to their ideas and a certain level of control that can be somewhat neurotic. I just come from a plane of thought where I'm going to make the best of whatever anybody gives to me. And if I don't think I can do that, I'm going to be completely and entirely honest immediately and say Humbly and respectfully, I don't think I can pull it off. So when you brought it to my attention, I said, absolutely. Like, if there's a way to preserve the presentation that Petey and I have put together, and you're very much just as much, you know, a part of my presentation as I am to it, Petey. I mean, um, I was like, "I, I just don't want to sort of invalidate what has been done, because it was a very long build, and I'm very comfortable in these shoes, so to speak, I'm granted a certain level of creativity and construction and verbiage with this, uh, which I'm very grateful for. I didn't want to get lost, um, in putting something together because this, the character presentation is very antisocial and that's, that's what it needs to be. Um, if we're, if we as I said before, if we're, if we're playing to a level of sincerity and committing to that, what really bothers and scares people in the world are people that you cannot relate to mm-hmm. um, that scares people. That's in human behavior. It's sociology one-on-one yeah. when people cannot relate with other people, why they do things, motives and such that bothers people. An old school horror movie, for instance, I won't, I won't stray too far up here, but an old school horror movie, Michael Myers, uh, Halloween, that really bothered people, that movie in the beginning, not because they had the rationale of the serial killer. Um, he wasn't humanized. You didn't know why he was getting up after he's being shot. You didn't know why he wanted to kill his family. There were all these you didn't know whys. And it just, it really disturbed people. So to take that character and put him next to Austin or anybody and be like, hey, we're best friends now, I felt like I was a little concerned about that. But moving into it and uh, creating that presentation, that wasn't what we did. And we've only actually alluded to one common ground between. The character Austin Aries and Killer Cross, which is basically that they're both striving for change. They want to see change. Uh, Killer Cross hasn't really alluded to what sort of changes he wants and he wants to know about doing it, but suffice to say, he's sort of content with this one particular direction they're going in. And I was super to hear because, you know, I mean, often I have so many years in the business, there's a lot that I could learn from him. And um, I understood that what he was telling me was I was you know, essentially going to be, you know, invited into what's becoming now the main narrative of the program. I mean, you can't, you can't just create stuff like that in your career. You can't, you can't politic that. You, you can't construct that. So when an opportunity like that comes around, someone who's experienced comes together with the company and they're, they're going to take a leap of faith in putting you in that, in that picture. I mean, that's, you can't beat that. I mean, I was, I'm pumped about it right now, you know, and we're kind of right at the beginning of it. Very, very, very cool experience.
2: The evolution of the Killer Cross character, which you're very mindful of if you just listen to you speak on the way and the thought that you put into your character, and something as a wrestling fan I worry about is you go in and out of being good, bad, heel, face. Are you mindful of that? Do you think the Killer Cross character could be a face down the line or use the change as a face motive?
1: I think um, in a very, very bizarre way, I've actually experienced this transition already on the independents. I was wrestling for years in Las Vegas. We had a state televised show, and it's very narrative-based. And when I was working as a heel the crowd turned me face and it was not something that I orchestrated. Um, It it, it just, it just happened. And I did everything I possibly could to get them to hate me. And sometimes, you know, in professional wrestling, there's a level of commitment that we take to our work. And the fans in 2018 are smartened up to that. And sometimes you just, you got to give them what they want. And so I did. And when I did that, I didn't change any of my gears whatsoever. Uh, They started calling me the people's executioner. So I was like, well, that works for me. You know, I'm still going out there and giving them what they were invested in to begin with. I'm not, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. I'm still the, the guy that they, that was introduced to them. I just, you know, instead of terrorizing them, I'm terrorizing the people they don't like. And that's how I kind of foresee... Killer cross being a face. He winds up maybe perhaps protecting the interests of the people to serve his insatiable lust for violence and mayhem. At this present time as a heel, it's kind of like everybody's a target. He can really very much care less, wouldn't even enter his thoughts of exercising any sort of empathy or apathy in anything he does. He's solely impulse-based, wants to see what's left in a person after their will is broken and gone, just to show them everything that they are and not disillusion them and break that in them. And then just have a look at them and see what's left. That's where that character is rooted. And that's awful. And that's what it should be. You know, My job at this present time is to show people the absolute worst in a human being. And that's kind of where I come from with that.
0: So who approached you like with, uh, impact, like, was it Don? Was it Sanja? Was it Scott? Was it collectively? Like who said, Hey, you know, we want to do this character on our television show. Um, will you come out, you know, and, and talk with us or like, how, how did that all transpire?
1: Don Callis had reached out to me, uh, over social media. Did you know, media. did you know Don beforehand or? No, I didn't. And I was okay. very flattered too, because I was familiar with his work and, um, yeah, I was. He just reached out. He goes, "I've been reviewing your stuff, kid," and he goes, "This is some pretty, you know, profound stuff. Like it's it's very different, uh, which is great because there's so many redundancies, you know, and fans get tired of that." And he, you know, basically asked me if it's something I'd be interested in, in doing with Impact, and and I said yes. And then he basically uh, made his rounds, I suppose, contacted Sanjay. Sanjay and I had a chat, and it all circled back to Don, and basically signed with Don.
2: Now, call me crazy or maybe a bit uh, presumptuous here, but are you strike me as a guy that puts a lot of homework into where you want to go before you even go there. The And I don't know if you're a superhero movie kind of guy, but it seems like the new Venom movie that will be coming out where you have the anti-hero thrown into a, I, I guess a villain thrown into a hero situation you kind of strike me as a guy that would go out and see that three or four times with a pad of paper to take notes maybe for future.
1: 100%.
2: <laughs> there it is, Dennis. Well, uh, <laughs> I I was hoping for a bit more there cuz that was that was like, oh, but yeah, that it it kind of strikes because when you were talking, I immediately flashed to like Venom. The the new Venom movie coming out where you you have somebody that has been a notorious killer in the Marvel Universe. And I don't – Petey, are you a comic book guy?
0: Uh, I see the – okay, so I know a lot of wrestlers are comic book guys. I can name like Chris Daniels, big comic book guy, Alex Shelley, all those guys I used to hang out with, Xavier Woods, huge comic book guys. I will watch the comic book movies, and then afterwards when we all go see it together, I'll say like – Um, well, what's going to, and they'll tell me like, Oh, that, because in the comic book, this happened, this happened and this happened and and, and it goes to show those guys are like really into like their character. So I feel like, you know, somebody like a killer cross, he's really big into comic books. That's how I would feel because he's so big into a character. Whenever I see somebody that puts a lot of thought into their wrestling character, I feel like they understand comic books and they know how to develop character. I don't know.
1: Are, Are you a big comic book fan? I grew up with comics, you know, I was an 85 kid. So I I, I grew up in that era where, you know, that was comic books for little kids at that time were like the the best literature you could possibly find on anything. Um, Grew up reading Marvel, DC. I read everything. I kind of fell off the map around... I don't know, I feel like the last comic book series I ever read was Onslaughts, if anybody knows what that was. So that was maybe 1996. DC, the last comic series I read was probably Bane when he broke Batman's back and oh, uh, yeah. Doomsday when he killed Superman. But it's ironic because all of those comics and all of those series that I read from you know the 80s into the 90s, now they're making movies about them, which I think is amazing because I never thought that was going to happen. So I'm like basically you know, watching the movies now that I grew up reading about you know, as a kid. I don't know what it was, but um, I just couldn't get into the any of the stuff after maybe 96, 97. But I'm familiar with all of it, and I watch all of those movies. I know all my lore. And I definitely think maybe the way I...
2: Now, I, I, let me ask you this. You are a legitimate killer. I, I've heard past interviews with you where you talk about all the training and everything you go through, I have to ask you at what point in your life did you realize professional wrestling is where you want to go?
1: The very first memory I probably could ever recall was, you know, when I was like three, four, maybe five years old, I was actually watching pro wrestling. Like for some kids, it's like being in the car driving somewhere, you know, riding a bike or something for me. I literally, I had my hand on the television and it was ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan just beating the holy daylights out of each other. So, you know, I've always watched wrestling since I was a kid. I just, you know, I happen to come from a family that was very, I don't know how to say it. I mean, I don't want to say macho. I don't mean it in a derogatory sense, but they were all combat sports athletes. So I grew up wrestling and boxing and, um, you know, I would I would like express to them that this was something that I wanted to do, and they kind of laughed about it. Like they treated it in that way, where it was, you know, why would you want to do that when you could lace people out cold for a living? Like you want to dress up like an idiot, you know, and, and play fighting in your underwear? And I'm like, well, yeah, actually, play fighting in my underwear, dressing up like an idiot, it's really fun. So <laughs> I, I just, I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying from an egotistic, you know, or egocentric point of view, I'm very comfortable with myself. So like, I just, I've never needed to violate people and and become overly competitive in like a nonsensical way to find security so like being a professional fighter you know I've always enjoyed engaging in conflict and weathering that but like my personality to be truth like to be honest it's you know I'm not competitive in the way where I would I probably should be to pursue a career like that um, professionally. And I found that out later into my late, you know, into my later twenties. Like I was, I was in pro camps and I was around all these guys and I just, I just began to hate it. So I just eventually decided you know, there's a pro wrestling school here in Vegas. I'm going to go there and see what happens. And the first month I started training, I was working in front of people. Like it was kind of one of those things. I had decided this when I was a kid and, you know, before I should have even been able to logically even decide it. And it's just always been there. It's always been there, and I tried to find every other job I possibly could in my life so I wouldn't become a pro wrestler, but this is the only thing that's really ever provided me that sort of fulfillment and closure that I really needed. You know, like Japanese, I, you know, they say, like, you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life, right?
0: Yeah. No, I could, I, I can totally relate. Like, 90% of what you said right there is, like, minus the, like, legit combat sports is exactly what I went through. Um, but like, who, who who trained you? Like, how did it? How did you meet the person that trained you? Like, we all have the story. I remember what my story was. But like, how are you? Like, you know what? I'm gonna be a pro wrestler. And then you meet the guy that trains you. Like, how did all that all that transpire?
1: Um. So my wife drove me down to the school. Uh, here in Vegas and she didn't even tell me where we were going it was like one night we were watching wrestling on television and she was like you know you you could do this and like so arrogantly at the time I was like yeah I know Like I had no idea how hard it actually was so she's like yeah. okay well you're gonna put your money where your mouth is we're going down to the school I go yeah okay and then um, one day we just you know went and got a cup of coffee and then she drove me down to the school and I was like oh okay I guess this is for real now so uh, Michael Modest and Disco Inferno were actually at the school at the time. It was Future Stars of Wrestling Academy, and um, Modest basically, you know, gave me my break into into the school. And I was training under Iron Mike Modest. For anyone um, who is aware or isn't aware, Mike Modest wrestled wrestled in NOAH, Japan, and all over the world for a period of time. And I'm sure probably everybody knows who Disco is on here. So. Um, and then from there, I just, I attended as many seminars as I possibly could. Rip Rogers is another guy. I tried to spend as much time with us as I could. So,
2: so I'll say this, and this isn't really one of my questions, but you know, when I try to act really cool in front of my wife, she calls me out on it you, you are embedded into the killer cross. Does your wife ever look at you and go, don't do that with me. Just stop. Go do the dishes. <laughs> how's, how's that dynamic work?
1: um it's such a it's that character is so far from who i really am and and how i actually am that like there's it's it's not synonymous you know what i mean the the way my family observes it like they watch and they they have a good laugh about it but at the same time i don't know it's i guess you'd have to ask them i don't know i mean it's it's funny we have a laugh about it because it's so it's just so not me it's, it's not me. I'm I'm totally detached personally from all of that. I just get into the character, and um, it's funny, I guess. I guess she finds it humorous.
2: <laughs> In the wrap this up, I know you're busy, but I, I have to say I was there to share a moment between you and Petey where Petey, I don't want to say pass the torch, but allowed you to get your character over by essentially decimating him. And it's something you don't see a lot in a lot of established guys. Most of them are very protective of their character. PD allowed you that opportunity to watch you guys interact. And then every time PD walks into a room to see how thankful every time, even this last set of tapings, you know, where a lot of guys said, All right, I thank PD two or three different times It moved on. You were still very grateful when you come into a situation like this. How refreshing is it to be able to work with a P.D. Williams when you hear the horror stories of past wrestling?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, not to not to blow smoke, you know, he's right here. But I am very well uh, consciously and intellectually aware of how bad it can be if your introduction to the world uh, winds up getting botched. You, You might spend more than half of your career trying to dig yourself out of a hole. Um, because the person didn't want to work with you or just whatever the idea is that people had in their minds that just didn't come off that way on television. Like, I think that perhaps, like, the most difficult match of my career probably is over now, and it happened with Petey. So, yeah, like, there's going to be an eternal gratitude there forever. Um, You know, Petey helped me establish a very delicate character presentation to the wrestling world on television that in my humble opinion, I don't think they've seen before. I have nods to people who have inspired me and my character work, even from films and comics and stuff like that. But I've really been trying to garner an original feel with familiar elements that were in wrestling that are currently not in wrestling right now. And, um, you know, PD helped me put that together tremendously. You know, it's, that appreciation is always gonna be there. and. I've just seen it go wrong so many times that I'm aware of the value that you know this whole thing has had, and uh, just really, really happy that it that it turned out the way it did. I, for lack uh, of better words,
2: it, it, Petey, Before you answer, I I will blow smoke up his butt. We are essentially best friends, and oftentimes. You know, I'll say something to him that someone else kind of uh, poo-pooed on me, and he goes, you know, not everybody is kind of like me. You know, PD is rooted in real life, not always the wrestling business where uh, it's a weird dynamic, you know, backstage in real life. They don't meet, and there it's just a whole divide, which the reality between the two. So every time I go, Pete, why, why'd that guy say that to me? Or why why this? He goes you know, it's, it's their culture. So to be able to know a guy like Petey, I, I'm even lucky to be friends with him.
0: Um, well, Hey, thanks guys. Um, <laughs> well just, <laughs> I don't even know what to say just to answer all of that. Like, I, I, I do understand how the business works. Uh, I've been doing it for uh, like 18 years now. Um, I really, what helps is, you know Scott is the one that trained me. I really respect Scott. Sanjay's one of my best friends. Um, so when they say, Hey, they're, we're trying to get this character over, you know, I know how important it is to the product not to me and my character, but to the product and this whole entire business moving forward. Uh, how important, like, that one match, this one character, the Killer Cross character is. Like, I know we need bigger stars. I know Petey Williams has uh been the star like he's not gonna rise back up kind of deal we need to create new characters and if there's anything i can do to help the product i'm gonna do it and like when i met killer cross the first time i'm like like i I see you okay and you're an intimidating dude i'm not intimidated by by people you know hence working with steiner and stuff but to a normal person you'd be an intimidating dude i'm like is this guy gonna take care of me in the ring how is this guy's attitude? all these things cross my mind that uh, cross the mind of a professional wrestler. And then when I meet you and then you're humble and you're willing to work and it just, that's what this business should be. You know, it is business and people shouldn't be in business for themselves. And I know that killer cross is not in business for himself, that he as well wants to make this product, the impact wrestling product, the best that it can be. And I think that's, we have a good group of guys right now that is doing that. And, I'm just I'm excited about the future of pretty much
1: everything impact wrestling. So thank you, Killer. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, man. The, the gratitude will be eternal, believe me. And sincerely, Thanks. I mean,
2: we're gonna all hug it out now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, Dennis. You have to send us off because I have to wipe these
0: tears out of my butthole. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, all right, Killer. One thing I got to say, I'm also impressed with is your ability to market yourself how social media savvy you've been. Let's talk about it while promoting a little bit of where people can go, your website, shirts, stuff like that.
1: Sure. Um, Right off the bat, you know, I, I get questions about that all the time, about the social media awareness and stuff. When I first got started and I was trying to figure out on the independence how somebody makes it to television, I always thought to myself, well, when people come to an indie show and then they watch stuff on television, they're always going to compare the indie product to the stuff on television so I thought what better way than to you know start teaching myself how to create my own content so if people want to see where I came from literally from the time I started to now you can go to killercross.com I've literally done my absolute best to archive everything I've done in a streamlined narrative for the last four and a half years killercross.com with a k and um, I have a youtube channel that's attached to that website and it has all of my stuff on it. You could watch it all for free. It's just going to redirect you to YouTube. And um, I just did my absolute best to market myself as the way people perceive professional wrestlers on TV before I got the TV. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool one day if people saw me on television and they said, well, where the hell did this guy come from? And they could just pull it up and see. And it's all there. I've archived everything. Killer. Genius.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for giving some time out of your night to join us. Good luck in the future. I can't wait to see you again, my friend